Howdy folks. The Western Hunting Summit is coming up quickly. The first one comes up May 28th through the 31st. That is a black bear summit. We're going to be spending three days on the mountain in the Madison Range here in the wilderness with, uh, with myself and Cody Rich and Brian Barney and Douglas Bowes. And we're going to be out there looking for bears, talking about bears, doing anything and everything we can think of to educate folks on bears and how to be more successful at bear hunting. Um, and again, that one's coming really quick and there's a few spots left. Uh, next summit, we added an elk summit on June 4th through the 7th because the later date had sold out so fast. We felt like it was, um, it was something we should probably do. So the 4th through the 7th, we have um, myself, Hillary, Brian Barney, Cody Rich, the Joel Turner, who is a fantastic addition. He's going to be teaching a lot of, well, archery skills, shooting, elk calling, all that jazz. We've got Mountain Tough Fitness. They're going to be there talking. They're also going to put us through a workout. And I've got Dan Picard. And uh, so a great lineup for that fourth through the seventh event. It's going to be a lot of fun. Um, really looking forward to that. And then, uh, and then we have, uh, what is it, June 18th through the 21st. That Elk Summit is sold out. And then right after that, we have the Mule Deer Summit on the 25th through the 31st. Uh, myself, Barney, a whole host of guys. Remy Warren will be there. It's going to be a lot of fun. Um, and uh, and there's, I think there's two spots left or so for that. And uh, so if you want any more information on that, go to westernhuntingsummit.com and you'll see everything you need to know. And again, there are new passes available for the Elk Summit. So get on there and get your passes. All right, let's do this. So I remember a podcast that we did a while back. And you said, we, I think me or somebody asked you what you felt was the most important thing when you went in the backcountry. Like, like what was your gear list? or And mm. if you had the most important things, you said one of them was... Boots. Boots. Yep. Comfortable boots. Interestingly enough, there's a new company out there called SheepFeetOutdoors.com. You can go to their website. They sent us this information about how they make personal orthotic inserts for your your boots yeah custom and, orthotics yep and you've been wearing them in your boots for a while now what over a month maybe oh yeah a couple couple and a half months probably yeah i've always like uh i always put some type of a orthotic or insole in my boots i always have um i noticed my feet felt way better i used to run those uh green super feet a lot and then uh i don't know i think your feet change over time almost flatten out especially with heavy loads mm. <laughs> backpacks or just getting old i don't know <laughs> uh i ran i ran a different one for a while and um this company came out and kind of saw what they were doing and they customize by basically sending you a kit you put your foot into this impression they take it and then they go pour a mold and they build you a custom orthotic or, um, uh, what do they call it orthotic? I guess. Yeah, they do. I guess. That's what and then, and then, um, and you slip that into your boot. So that's what I've been wearing. Yeah. I'd say probably at least eight, 10 weeks or now or so. And I'm using the crud out of them in my boots, getting in a bunch of hikes and, uh, no, my feet feel great. And, you know, I think everybody's got a little bit different feet, right? So, I know your feet are all kinds of wanky. My but feet are horrible. Sometimes you'll have, you know, one arch that's a little higher than the other or whatever. I think long term, if you're thinking long term, you know, and you're and you're out of alignment a little bit, uh, it's going to catch up to you. And I think double down when you're hauling big loads into the mountains, maybe you're putting 50, 60 or more miles on on a trip and then you're hauling heavy loads out of the mountains. I think uh, I think that's where you really start to take notice if you're out of alignment where like a custom orthotic actually does help and uh, 
and it kind of uh, forms to your foot. So. so did you get did you get the extreme curl cushion? I got the full length orthotic, which is what, oh, okay. I've, been, what I've been wearing. Did you get the f extreme curl cushion added or the heel stabilizer? Heel stabilizer, yes. Okay. Um, so they have here that they have they c these full-length custom orthotics can be upgraded with an extreme curl cushion and a heel stabilizer to maximum comfort, protection, and performance. They correct relief, correct relief pain and help prevent injury. Every hunter needs these to help them perform at the highest level or off the mountain. Well, I'm really interested. I think they're going to, we ordered one for me, right? Yeah, I ordered okay. a kit for you because uh, you have really wanky feet <laughs> and you don't spend that much time hiking. So, um, but you walk around a lot and you complain constantly about, I wore custom orthotics when I was a kid, like way, way back. Cause my feet, like I used to wear the inside of my shoes out. Well, yeah. Cause you kind of walk like that. <laughs> like you pronate in a little bit. I don't now. I don't now. Um, whatever force, maybe your things helped you when you're middle, perfectly but. aligned. No, I used to wear them out, and uh, folks brought me in, and I got a custom orthotic. I wore it for gosh, I don't know, a year, and um, and that kind of fixed everything. I never had to wear them again. Hmm. That was a long, long time ago. But um, no, I, th I think if you're looking for a pretty dang good pair of orthotics, you need them. You have foot pain. Everybody knows if you if you hike a lot, put a lot of miles on on boots, boot comfort is important. And um, at the end mm -hmm. of a trip, you know if you're a little bit out of alignment or whatever, you're gonna have some problems. So I'd recommend cool. it. Well, Sheet Feet has agreed to give us a discount code, which is cool. And so if you want to support our podcast and get ten percent off a pair of your own custom orthotics, um, you can go to sheetfeetoutdoors.com and use the code. Stay healthy 10. Stay healthy, don't forget the H. People do that sometimes, but so. um, stay healthy 10. And you can get your own. It's pretty cool. They send you this little pink insert thing. You press your foot down um, and then you send it off. It's super easy to do. Um, all right, speaking of sheep, um, not really feet, but speaking of sheep, we are actually <laughs> at the sheep show, the Montana Wild. Um, Sheep Foundation weekend in Billings, Montana, and you were the storyteller last night at the mm. Friday night event. Sure was. And he was super nervous. He spent many weeks pondering over what he was going to talk about. Ryan is a very, uh, he thinks about things for a long time before he actually like implements strategy. But then once he starts implementing strategy, he kind of slowly builds that up. <laughs> and over the last week, we built over up a PowerPoint. And it was the easiest PowerPoint ever because we just, just pulled out pictures. Yeah. And, and then kind of deciding what he wanted to talk about. And I think you settled on mentorship and, you know, telling some of your hunting stories mm -hmm. and the mentors in your life, sharing the guys that really you feel like you, you know, stand on their shoulders with your success. Yep. Yeah. I just talked about a few of the mentors, uh, how they helped me, um, do what I love to do now, how they've helped me find some success that I, I get to enjoy now. So, uh, I wanted to give credit to the people that have helped me along the way and encourage people to try to mentor others, uh, in their life as well, even if they are, outside of the community um it, you know it, it's easy to kind of mentor people who already understand hunting and, and uh you know but there still is that that part of you you have to give you have to donate some time and a lot of us you know we get limited time i get quite a bit of time but a lot of people get limited time to go and uh donating yeah. time to take somebody else out can be a struggle yeah. if uh you know if you're selfish, like I have been for a lot of years, but, uh, I think overall, I think, uh, the community benefits when we take others out, whether it's other family members or people outside of our community that just don't have never had anybody to get them involved. But I don't know. That's kind of what the gist was of that speech. I, that I speech about. you're going to hear on today's podcast. Um, I was hoping that's what the gist was. I don't know. It was it was a jumbled blur, and I don't I don't really even 
you were so nervous, which you should be, because anytime you get up to public speak, like anybody, I, you know, you get a little nervous. I was nervous for you. I started getting ready like an hour before we had to be down there. And I started getting like butterflies in my stomach and I wasn't even speaking. Well, a lot but, of people, this is just, this would be just easy, but I'm, uh, I'm not a speech giver, never have been. I have avoided those uncomfortable getting up in front of people on stage events at all costs, but. Well, you are you are now a public speaker, because after no, that I've got talk, I've got one, I've got this event and uh, checked off the list. Now I can move on to something else. I'm done <laughs> public speaking. No, you are not. <laughs> you got the summits coming up. You speak. You do plenty of speaking, and I can tell you after tonight, you're going to get asked to speak more. And I'm not going to let you turn them down because everybody <laughs> that came up was like, "Dude, you killed it. That was awesome. Oh my gosh!" And you know why it was awesome? Because it was just you being you, just you telling stories, and the stories that you had to share were great stories. So I actually got a video of it, folks, and I got audio that is somewhat redeemable, and that's what this podcast is today. So this is the, it's about 55 minutes or so of Ryan doing his um, talk that he did last night, and it's really, really good. Well, I don't agree, but... <sighs> Why do you say it. that? Don't put yourself I down. I don't know. I just uh, I feel like when you're up there, I had like a bunch of notes. I think three quarters of my notes I never even looked at. I just kind of went with it and uh, my thoughts got all jumbled up. And no, I, they didn't. I was having a hard time getting to my points, but I filled, uh, I filled that time with words. <laughs> I didn't get everything that I wanted to say out, but. Yeah, you got yeah, well. a lot out. It's good. So this is a podcast today. Um, and if you like this talk and you think Ryan should do more public speaking, speaking, please send him a DM or a message or send me one. Cause I'm his agent now and, um, <laughs> we'll book him, uh, for your event. Cause he's an awesome. Whatever. Nope. Well, it happened. <laughs> it's totally happening. You're ready to be turned hey, down on happening. that one. Remember like five years ago, you thought social media was a waste of time and you never wanted me to ever do it. And you did it. And you were never going to be a public speaker. And look at you now, <laughs> speaking in front of hundreds of people. I just brag about you because you don't brag about yourself and you put yourself down. But you know, you know it was good. It's like nails on a chalkboard listening to it back <laughs> no, over again. But not. Anyway. Oh all my right. gosh. Okay. Well, everybody enjoy this podcast. And as always, you can go to our website, huntharvesthealth.com. And... Uh, I don't know. Get what you need off of that website, but that's where we're at. Huntandhaveourself.com. All right. Well, first off, I want to say thank you for Wild Sheep, Montana Wild Sheep, uh, Corey, for getting me involved in this. Uh, this is actually my first banquet I've ever been to, but. Uh, now that uh, I live here in Montana, this is definitely something that we hope to do a lot more of. Our uh, things like things just like this that Montana Wild Sheep does. Um, and forgive me if I stumble, stammer, pass out, whatever, to try to get through this. Um, this is not my thing by any stretch of the imagination. When Corey asked me, I wanted to say no, you know, ten ways from Sunday, but um, with the encouragement of my wife or the forcing of my wife, she told me that I better do that, so um, here I am. But um, real quick, I'm sure there's a lot of guys out there, a lot of, a lot of you that don't know who this long-haired hippie is. Um, um, I've been pretty under the radar for a lot of years, and uh, I've been very comfortable with that. But um, I'm Washington State native. Basically, I've lived there for 45 years of my life, and um, Unfortunately, I'm just two years into my Montana experience and, uh, you know, couldn't have got here fast enough. Um, I've got a wife, Hillary. Uh, she co-hosts the podcast that we do, the Hunt Harvest Health Podcast, Doc Hill. Um, <laughs> my wife has been a Bozeman. Well, she, she graduated from Bozeman. She grew up in Bozeman, uh, you know, MSU, all that. And somehow she decided to leave Bozeman. A long time ago, because I think it was, she thought it was too small. But uh, ended up in Seattle, ended up at a fishing lodge in Alaska. I was guiding up there. Um, I think uh, I got out of high school 
and I couldn't wait to get to start adventuring, exploring. Got up to Alaska, headed over to Russia, and, and spent as many days and, and years as I could just traveling the world exploring. But I happened to meet my wife up there, and I never would have guessed I'd meet some piping hot Montana native up in Alaska, but I did. And um, very fortunate for that. I got two kids. Uh, we kind of started later. I got a four-year-old and an 11-year-old. Um, basically, I've been a lifelong sportsman, outdoorsman, hunter, fisherman my entire life. And, uh, and uh, you know, that's kind of what has set set me into this lifestyle is uh, it got me to Alaska, it got me to Russia, it got me traipsing through the mountains with, uh, with my father. A lot of this talk I want to I do today is just that. I want to talk about what's gotten me to the point where I am today, uh, some of the mentors. I want to give thanks to them. I also want to talk a little bit about mentoring and how we can maybe help kind of promote what we do, um, you know, get this lifestyle that we, that, we, that we love. All of you here love, I'm sure that's why you're here and kind of promote that to, uh, to folks outside of our community. Um, but again, if, if I'm uncomfortable looking up here, it's because I am. I am an uh, introvert, happy to say I've been an introvert my entire life. Uh, no way in heck would you have ever gotten me on a stage, even in high school, I was that guy in the back of the class. Uh, not a chance you were gonna get me on the stage, but here I am today. So uh, working through it, trying to get a little bit more comfortable doing these type things. Um, so when Corey asked me to come up, he didn't really give me a uh, specific as far as what he wanted me to do. So that maybe tell a couple of stories, um, you know, just, just act like you're talking to your buddies, tell a couple of, you know, cool hunting stories and, and that should be it. I think he also mentioned there might be a handful of people here, like maybe 50 or 60 people. Um, and then once I agreed, I got a call back like two, three weeks later and he said, you know, there might be a few more than that. There might be a hundred plus folks showing up to this and that. So, um, how dare you, Corey? But, um, all right. So when I started thinking about a couple of stories, um, you know, I, I was like, man, I could, I could tell, you know, some pretty cool adventure stories, some big trips that I've had, in some pretty cool places. Um, maybe a funny story would be good. Everybody like to hear that. Um, you know, challenging stories, something with success at the end, but. Honestly, there's a couple stories that jumped out to me that I feel like sharing with you guys tonight. Um, they're just like really meaningful, profound stories that I had in my life. One of those stories was a story in my first year. Uh, that's what kind of propelled me into, you know, the person that I am today. Fortunate to have a dad that got me into, you know, this thing that, uh, that we all love to do. But I'm going to tell that story right now. Um, that's me. Uh, I think I was 14 years old. And this, this story, it, it, it means more to me now than it did back then. Back then, it was just kind of a you know, spooky thing that happened. And I'll get to that. But uh, there's a lot that went into this story. And um, I want to talk about the mentorship that my dad provided me uh, throughout this. But uh, the story of this deer right here, Washington High Country, November hunt, um, rifle hunt with my father, park at a trailhead, I don't know, maybe 7,000 feet, on the edge of a wilderness area. And I was all gung-ho that morning to get up and just get after it. Uh, my father, you know, he's usually pretty gung-ho, but I wanted to get on the trail. I knew where I wanted to go. We kind of knew where we were going to meet up, but I took off early that morning, a little bit ahead of my cousin, a little bit ahead of my dad. Uh, there's, there was three of us. Um, you know, we had a fresh blanket of snow that day. Uh, about six miles in on that hike that morning, it was just starting to get light. I started pretty early. And uh, and lo and behold, I kind of look up and remember this, I have not ever shot anything in my life. I've seen a couple of deer come back with my father, but I look up on the hill and I see two bucks just kind of sparring around, young bucks. And, uh, but to me, they look like giants. You know, I, I think I was sporting like eight by 30 Bushnells back then. I don't know, this was late 80s, so this was a long time ago. Um, two bucks. Couldn't, you know, just like 
this was a dream for me. This has been a dream of mine for a long, long time. But uh, so I think, all right, well, I'm just going to go up there. I'm going to make my dad super proud. I'm going to go up there. I'm going to shoot a buck. I'm going to drag that thing right down to the trail. By the time he gets to me, I'm going to have his buck just sitting here. Well, I dump my pack, drop my gloves, drop everything that I have except for my rifle. I start scurrying up this, uh, this little wood line. Get out there a couple hundred yards and kind of peek my way out of those trees and I cannot find that buck. It's gone. I walk over, I find their tracks, and I start in on those tracks. And um, those tracks led me up to the top of the mountain where I kind of got to the top and I was a long way up. Probably took me, I don't know, an hour, hour and a half to get up to the top. Get up to the top, look down in that next basin over the next field. And uh, way, way down on the bottom, I can barely see these things, but I see these two bucks doing the same thing. They're sparring around down in this meadow. I think, well, I gotta go after them. Not remembering I had left everything back at the trail back there. So I kind of slide down this, this rock chute on my butt, get down in there. It was tough. It was like, I probably shouldn't have been doing it, especially with the gear that I had. And uh, um, I get down there to the bottom, stay on those tracks. Uh, long story short, I ended up getting up on these bucks, get within 100 yards, and I get my rifle down set up, take the shot, and I dump this buck. And uh, I walk up to it, I'm the happiest kid on the planet. You know, 14 years old, just took my first buck, and it's a four-point. That's like what dreams were made of back then, right? Just just a four-point, that's all I wanted. And uh, so here's where things got a little weird. I'm looking at this buck, and I don't really know what to do with this thing. This is something that I haven't seen happen. You know, I, I think I, uh, you know, I. Maybe I read it some outdoor life and I kind of knew how you know you pull the guts out, pack it with snow, whatever. But um, so I I kind of crudely break this thing down. I, I can't really remember at this point, but got the guts out, pack it with snow. Um, but I really want to take this head out with me. I don't have a backpack, but I really want to take this. I want to show my you know my dad what I did. And if you can see in this picture, you can see there's a lot of head there. There's a lot of neck there. Um, I didn't know what I was doing, so I cut that thing down, like right above the shoulders, is where I cut it. And, uh, you know, knowing now what I know, I, I don't know how many pounds, this is probably an extra 10, 15 pounds of meat there. Um, so I cut it off, and I'm looking back at where I came from, and there's no way I want to go back up those chutes. I remember sliding down through this boulder field, and it was rough, it was a rough go. And so, I, uh, I kind of looked down ridge. And I'm looking down there and I'm thinking, man, you know, that ridge kind of cuts down like this. All I got to do is like hoof it over here and I'll just, you know, the trail's on the bottom on the other side. All I got to do is go over here and cut down and diagonal down to, to the trail. I'll meet up at the trail. Hopefully uh, my dad will be there. So I go over and I start doing that. Well, the weather comes in and uh, fog rolls in, snow starts snowing like crazy. Uh, my tracks are getting covered up. What happened was I got to that ridge, I started cutting down, and there was kind of a ghost ridge that I didn't see or didn't know of. And so in the fog, I'm kind of walking down this, this deal. Well, I just keep turning in the fog, and I can't really tell I'm turning, but I am. And I keep going and keep going and keep going. And uh, I don't remember how many hours I walked, but I was walking until it started to get dark. I had no gloves, I had no backpack, I had nothing, I had no idea. This is this is before GPS, this is before any of that. It was a handheld compass and that's all you had. When I was 14, I didn't even know how to work one of those things. So, um, it, and it was it was coming down really hard. And, you know, now I'm starting to worry. And I'm thinking, um, man, you know, I, there was one point where I fired my gun three times, not knowing what that would do. Again, I probably read that in an outdoor life somewhere. It's like if you're in trouble, fire a gun three times, somebody will come running. But this is way back in this wilderness area that there's really nobody, nobody back there at all. There was nobody at the trailhead that morning. Um, well, lo and behold, I, I kind of start getting to the point where I don't know what I'm gonna do because I'm, I'm completely lost. I can't backtrack, my tracks are getting covered up too fast. 
I kind of, I'm, I'm looking ahead of me and it's pretty thick, but I see this dude walking right in front of me. So I'm thinking, first I didn't really know what it was, but I saw a guy and he disappeared into the white. So I walk over there and it was, a, it was a man, he'd got out to get a little firewood and bring it back into his wall tent. They, he had been dropped, there was two guys, they had been dropped off uh, back there, drop camped into the wilderness. They were the only ones back there. Somehow, some way, I stumbled onto these guys, these gentlemen, in the middle of nowhere, and that shouldn't have happened. I could have been 30 feet one way or another, I never saw that camp ever. If that guy wouldn't have been walking out to get firewood at that second, I would have never seen this guy. And um, very nice guys, they were shocked when they poked my head in that wall tent. <laughs> There's this young, you know, baby-faced kid, He's got a rifle and he's got a big old giant, you know, <laughs> tiny buck with a big old neck on it and a lot of meat. And uh, I do, I had no food up until that point. It had been a lot of hours and it was dark, had no light. So immediately these guys tell me, they're like, well, you got to stay here. Like, we got to keep you here, right? There is, uh, there's no way we can really let you just go wander from here. You got nothing. But I was, I was adamant. I was like, look, my dad is going to be trying to find me and I know he's going to be super worried. I have to you know, find my way out. So he unrolled this paper map, shows me where I'm at. I've done a little bit of summer hiking back there. So I kind of knew a little bit of the trail system. And uh, the guy shows me where I'm at. He says, you got to go up these switchbacks. You got about a mile and a half there. You got two miles here and then you got four miles back and you'll be back to that campground. But I'm, I'm so far away. And uh, so what he did was, he walked me about a mile and a half and he, you know, kind of shined shine the light of these switchbacks and gave me a little mag light. I didn't think we had headlights back then in the yeah. late 80s. I don't think they've been invented yet. But uh, one of those little mag lights. And they fed me a little bit of food, gave me a water bottle. So at least let at least let us hold this buck here while you go, you know, try to find your way out. And uh, there was no way I was gonna give up that buck at that point. I really wanted to get that thing back to show my dad. Um, but somewhere in that hike, I got up the switchbacks and I got you know down the trail a little ways, but I was so tired. Um, I had no endurance, no go power back then. I was 14 and I uh, was so tired. I started dry heaving, uh, puking up the food that they gave me just from, just from that, I was wore out. And I finally, at a certain point, dumped that deer head. I set it down as much as I didn't want to, set my gun down right up next to it on the trail and uh, started hiking out. I got back to the main trail that night and ran into my father, who was my cousin and him, were coming back in to try to find me. Super worried, super happy to see me, but we ended up getting back to camp at one o'clock that morning. Somehow, some way, we got back. Next day, you know, now we got to go back and get that buck. <laughs> and uh, did the same exact thing. We took the same route. My father, you know, we slid down, all three of us slid down on our butts down into that basin. We got all the meat. We're looking back up, and my dad said the same thing. He's like, man, there's, there's not a chance we're going back up that, but if we go over this ridge, and then we just cur cut around and we'll go back to the trail, I was, I was arguing with him, and he's like, no, 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 it work. We got up to that ridge, and sure enough, the snow starts coming in again. But it was like, it was probably the one time where I argued with my dad and I won, right? Because I was adamant like that, there's not a chance I'm going back down in that hole again. We gotta cut up this ridge and that ways and, and go back down. I figured it out. And so we did that. And um, it was another one of those all night death marches. But we got out of there, fortunately. But I look back at that now and uh, I feel so fortunate because there was, I don't know what the percentages were for me to run into a camp, the one and only drop camp in this entire wilderness area. And, uh, and I happened to walk right into it at a time where I, I really needed something, I had nothing. I knew nothing, so um, that's kind of the story of my first deer. And, you know, as scary as that was, uh, you know, a lot of folks have asked, like, well, what, did that deter you from wanting to go? And it, it, you know, it had, I think it would have, with anybody, it had the complete opposite. It's like, I just needed to learn more. I wanted to figure it out better, uh, be more of a mountain man, not be able to get lost, because that's embarrassing. And then just, you know, I wanted to learn more. And I think my dad at that point, he realized like, 
he had made some mistakes. Like there were some things he didn't teach me, he didn't do correctly. Um, as good of a mentor as he was, I think he realized at that point, like, man, I, I did some things wrong here. So he stepped up after that and he taught me a lot. Um, so my first mentor obviously was my father. I was very lucky to have one that was a big outdoorsman. Uh, big time Northwest steelhead fisherman, uh, guy loved to chucker hunt. Um, there's a lot of things that I learned from my father that uh, I got from him that I still have today. One of those was, you know, endurance, stay power. The, you know, the guy would just never quit. He was a labor hard worker and he did that in his work. He did that in his hunting. He did that in his fishing. He was a dawn to, dawn to dust type guy. And um, I'm so fortunate to have been you know, raised by a man like that who, who taught me so much. But um, uh, so who, who in here, um, like if I may ask a show of hands, like who in here has had a hunting mentor in their life that got them into what you guys all love today? Pretty much everybody, for the most part, I would guess. Um, yeah, imagine if you didn't have one. I think back, trying to figure out, like, what would I be doing right now if I had no mentor in my life? My father would not have been a sportsman or an outdoorsman. Uh, I have no idea what, I've done, what I would have done. I could have been gotten in trouble. I could have, you know, went out partying instead of going out and thinking about fishing or hunting. Done a lot of things wrong. Um, but, uh, no, I think mentors are... are really, really important, and uh, I fortunately had a few of them. There's my old man, there's my dad, who's more of a blacktail hunter on the coast, more of a chucker hunter, uh, like I said, Northwest Steelheader, but um, that's us. Now, I wanna talk about Uncle, Uncle Ron, crazy Uncle Ron. Um, this is my dad's brother, but this guy, he was a engineer by trade. Had uh, he had a passion for adventure, like I have now. Uh, big time, you know, elk hunter, deer hunter. He traveled around. He he was that guy that he'd hunted the Sonora. He'd come back and he'd have stories of all these giant muley bucks and and uh, hunting elk in, in the Idaho Panhandle in the wilderness up there. And he'd come back and he'd feed me these stories. And he just like, he got me so excited about hunting that I kind of glommed onto him for a lot of years there in my teens. And he took me to a lot of places, um, one of those being North Idaho. And uh, I, think, I think I learned, you know, I learned a lot from Ron in those days because these trips weren't just like overnighters. These weren't just weekend trips. If Ron was going hunting, he was carving out two weeks. No doubt about it. He'd take two weeks every time, just to make sure that he got everything right. Everything was in his favor. Uh, this is a guy that was really, really, really good at planning everything, every detail, every stock, gear. Uh, that was his. That was his thing. Being an engineer, he was really good at it. So I, you know, I, I learned a lot from him. Ron was a character. He's a goofball, but he absolutely loved hunting. I mean, he had. We had the best of times. And uh, I was real fortunate to have those times in, in uh, up there in Idaho and, and all over. But uh, we were muzzleloader guys back then. Um, Ron was kind of an old crusty guy that just, he was into black powder, old school. And uh, we had a lot of fun. Just some of the pictures that, that are from so far back. Actually, I had to take these pictures like out of the old photo album, like say pictures of them, they're really old. But um, you know, this guy had a knack for adventure. We we load up the llamas, head into the North Panhandle. This was this was pre-wolf days in North Idaho, where there was a lot of elk, a lot of elk, a lot of bulls. We had opportunities galore, whitetail, elk, and and we never came home empty-handed. But um, you know, I think what Ron taught me is don't let anything. Don't let anything up there stop you from pushing harder. Uh, it didn't matter what weather, if, if weather came in and we saw guys leaving, that's when we wanted to head up into it and stick it out. And Ron would laugh at those guys that come out, he'd make fun of them. And uh, to the point that I never wanted to be one of those guys that left because of weather, because of hardship, difficulty, 
we'd sit it out in that wall tent uh, as long as it took to where it, that weather broke and we had opportunities to go hunt. So, one thing about Ron was this guy loved mule deer. And uh, like I said, he would travel far and wide to go hunt mule deer. This guy would go to Sonora and he'd, uh, and he'd chase giant bucks, old age class bucks everywhere, Idaho, Montana, Washington. And so um, learning from this guy, even though he was a muzzleloader hunter, he, he still did really, really, really well the seasons that he was, he was given. But um, he's just one of those guys that was a, a great educator, a great teacher, and he just taught me you know, an incredible amount of information. And I think uh, I've, I've got the mule deer bug. It's funny, I'm up here talking at a wild sheep. I've never had the opportunity to go on wild sheep, by the way. I'm still in the less than one. I don't know who all's in the less than one in here, but I'm guessing quite a few. Yeah. Um, I hope to hunt them someday. I just haven't been that lucky to draw a tag. Um, I'm probably a little too cheap to ever buy one, but uh, someday, hopefully. But Ron, Ron got my fire lit for mule deer, and mule deer are my number one, always have been, uh, in certain type terrains. And I think with the help of him, he's the one that just kind of inspired me and, and, and got me really going and working hard at being a really, really good mule deer hunter. And I attribute any, any amount of success that I had was from Ron. And I, I hate, almost hate throwing this picture up there because it feels like a bragging session. But with Ron's guidance, his help of helping me plan out trips, out of state trips, going through, you know, mapping everything out, detailing everything out, um, this is what this is what I was afforded uh, being around a guy like that. Where Ron was, so I would spend countless hours with this guy, and he was very very giving with all his time, and he, uh, you know, he would always help me out as far as as the planning of these big trips and these big adventures. Mr. Blood, my biggest mentor of all time, uh, Mr. Blood. He's got the best name of all time too as a mentor as an elk hunter. Uh, Dallas Blood was his name, North Idaho guy. How I met Dallas was after I stopped guiding in Alaska and Russia, I'd come back and I, I'd take fly fishermen out on these private lakes and I would stock these lakes and I would take guys out, teach them how to fly cast, and, um, you know, just show them a good time, allow them to catch a bunch of fish. They had a good time. I took some photos if, if I got them to the point where they were releasing them right and everything like that. I felt good about leaving them out there on the lake. Well, at the point that I'd get these guys fishing to where I didn't have to be there, I'd always shoot my bow. I'd just start shooting my bow in big hay bales uh, around these lakes. And uh, had, I had some of the old Seattle Seahawks out there at some point. I kind of got tied in with that group and they would always come out. These guys loved to fish. And John Freeze, uh, quarterback for I think he was pretty famous in Idaho back in the day, his way back, um, held all the records. Well, I used to fish that guy out there all the time, loved to fly fish, uh, loved to catch big trout. And he always saw me out there flinging my bow, or flinging my arrows around with my bow. And one time he, uh, he walked up to me and he said, hey, you know, I see you love bow hunting. Um, and I said, you know, I basically, yeah, I do. I've just never really done it. You know, like I want to. I've struggled on elk with a bow. I've done really well with the muzzleloader, but it's something I really want to learn is learn how to archery elk hunt with a bow. And he said, "Well, you know what? Um, I've got this old baseball coach of mine, and uh, his name is Mr. Blood. The guy's probably sharpening broadheads as we speak right now. He's just that kind of a guy. He lives for it, right? And so, well, heck, you know, bring. I said, bring the guy out to my lake." love to have him out there just bring him out free charge and let me take his brain talk to a guy like that he's had a lot of success and so uh sure enough a few weeks later uh, uh john freeze brings old dallas out to the lake and i saddle up to him he goes out in his little float tube i saddle up to him all day long and i fish next to uh, old dallas blood and he just fills my brain with all kinds of information and it's good information but you know, there's like this hands-on thing, I want to see it for myself. And so, uh, you know, without me prompting him in any way, Dallas invites me, he said, hey, September's coming, a couple months out, uh, why don't you come over and I'll take you out and uh, we'll see what we can do. I'll show you some things in the Elk Woods. And so I jumped on that opportunity. 
And uh, that first year, this was, uh, man, this was back, this was late, this was late 90s probably. That first year, I go over there and I meet old Dallas. Dallas is a, uh, he's an ex-mill worker. His wife's a mail carrier. carrier. And uh, he was also a baseball coach and a track coach at times. And Dallas took me into his house. He wouldn't let me stay anywhere else. He just said, come on in. Um, you're going to stay with me, and however much time you have, you know, we'll hunt every day. And uh, he had a lot of time on his hands. He was in his early to mid-60s, somewhere in that range, and, uh, and retired. And so every day I spent with, with old Dallas that first year I went over there. And, uh, you know, the days were filled from, he was teaching me how to bugle. He was poking fun at people that had a certain type bugle. Um, he was kind of an artery guy, and he would laugh at a lot of people on how they did things and their tactics and guys at cow call and all these things. He was real set in his ways, but the guy was beyond successful in the Elkwoods. Um, and I knew that because of the stories he had when I went down to, into his basement um, and gawked at you know, his ridiculous amount of elk antlers on the wall that nobody ever saw. He didn't have them for display. He had them down in a basement somewhere, just piled up on this. There was two or three couches lined up. I don't know, he had a bunch of them. And there were some absolute giants in there that he had taken up in North Idaho, him and his boys. And uh, you know, him being the gracious guy he did, he took all that time with me. And we would spend dawn to dusk every day chasing elk. And he was educating me on what I, would, what I was doing wrong and, and maybe how I should go about it. Uh, I think we went through the first, uh, let me go back, the first day I got there, we couldn't go out. So, like a good coach would do, he pulls out the old VCR tapes, and he throws those in there, and he had been recording, he, go, he would go to Yellowstone or go to all these places where you could see elk and, and how elk behave. And he would record these, and then he would put it in the VCR, and he would like, he would play by play tell me why, what, what's gonna happen right here What's going to cause these two bulls to come together, together and fight? And so we would sit there like studying tape on a football, um, on football film, and we would we would go through the tape and you'd say, all right, you see how they're it's a challenge beetle at this point. How they're going to size each other up with the visual, uh, blah blah blah. And he, and he told me about the entire cadence of how elk come together and what's what it's going to take to pick a fight with a bull, because Dallas is. Uh, his MO in the elk woods was, you're going to go out there and you want to pick a fight. You're not going to kind of push the foot around and cow call him in or anything like that. You want him to come in, you want him to come in and pick a fight, you want him to come in sideways. Things have changed a little bit since that, but that was his strategy and it really, really worked. And, um, you know, like I said, I spent, that first year I went over there and I spent three weeks with Dallas and he gave me all that time. He, uh, he didn't kill a bull, but I did, and uh, he was perfectly fine with that. And he didn't—he didn't need to do it, but he did. And I was super gracious and happy that he did that. He became one of my best friends. Um, and I was just a young kid at the time, but uh, you know, he—he he showed me a crud ton. And he—I went over there for the next few years, and he absolutely just filled my head with everything I needed to know on how to kill bulls and how to kill them successfully, consistently. And uh, I felt like I was the luckiest guy on the planet to have that information. And uh, and so, being just being the good guy that he was, he was always very gracious with his time. This is a bull. This is the first bull that I killed with Dallas. It wasn't a big bull, but what Dallas would do with me is he would say, all right, we hear a bugle down in this old basin at some point. And he'd say, well, you're up. What are you going to do? How are you going to tackle that bull? And uh, I go down there, and usually what would happen is I'd pitch a bugle, he'd pitch a bugle, I'd pitch a bugle. I just get closer and closer. We've all played that game. And uh, nothing ever happens. They just keep walking away, right? And that's what most people do. And so I'd come back after it, it got blown up, and, and he'd tell me exactly what I did wrong, which was great, because I was getting a play-by-play in what I did wrong. And he would then tell me what I needed to do to maybe uh, get that bull to come in. And he, he, he was just really good at educating me in that way. He'd let me make my mistakes. I'd come back, he'd come back with, you know, you should, probably should have tried this. 
And um, I felt like I gleaned so much information from him. From that point on, um, I found a lot of success in the Elk Woods. Like I said, three years with this guy, and he taught me all the little things that I had never read, I had never heard anybody talk about. Uh, now today, in today's world, you'll hear these things on podcasts, and you'll hear them you know, through social and all those type things, but back then it didn't exist. There weren't platforms to get this information out, so it was hard to find. Uh, you know, Eastman's journals and you know other magazines and things of that nature. But for a kid just starting out and trying to figure this out for himself, it was it, it was a steep learning curve. But um, but he helped me immensely. And from that point, with the, with everything that he taught me, um, there was been there was a lot of years of success. Every year, from the point that I met up with Dallas Blood. He, uh, there was one year, one year that I didn't get a bull filled with my archery tag from that year, and that was 20 some odd years ago. And uh, I owe all that to Dallas, there's no doubt about it. Everything that he gave me, uh, I was able to take that information and put it to use. And like I said, all these bulls that I've taken over the years, there's a handful of them right there. And without, without Dallas's help, that would have never happened. Um, now I do want to say, tell you guys this story. Uh, there was that one year I talked about where I didn't, I mean that year haunts me where I didn't fill that oak tag. And uh, I'm gonna say that was probably 10, 12 years ago. 10, 12 years ago, something like that. And uh, I had worked this bull. We, Washington has a short little two week window for hunting season. They don't give you much time. So I make sure I carved out those two weeks and had, you know, every day available to me. I worked, I found this bull, I found this big old crusty bull, he's just an old ancient sucker. And it took me the entire two weeks to basically figure this thing out. This is the only bull I wanted to get. I got so close so many times, but it was either win, I'd have to back out, all these different things. Uh, had cows every day, and it was just difficult to get on this bull. Well, finally on the very last day of the season, um, all my eggs in this basket, it was, it was this bull or nothing. And, uh, and I get down in there that day and I start pulling out all the tricks that Dallas had taught me. You know, keeping sticks in my pocket, um, pouring water out from, you know, well above my head. Everything I can do to, everything I can do to think of to get this bull to come in tight. And uh, as soon as I, I finally had him pegged that day, that very last day, it was the last morning, I, uh, I have this bull, he's screaming, I pick the fight, he's, he's racing in, we've already done the thrashing, both back and forth, this and that, and he's coming, I mean his eyes are rolled back, he's coming, and I see this bull coming down, he just breaks through the alders, he comes down through this thing, and he's going to come up, and he's going to be right there, and he's going to be a frontal, but I'm assuming he's going to, you know, pull his little sideways thing right when he comes in, because he's coming in to fight me, so I pull my bow back on that bull, and as soon as he comes up, I'm looking at his rack, and but I shuffle because I was really close to a tree. And I could touch that tree, so I shuffle a little bit. All of a sudden, I'm pretty darn close to shooting this bull. He's almost sideways up me, and there's bees everywhere. Um, when I did that little shuffle, I kicked just this little dead, you know, piece of uh, limb. I kicked the nest, bees everywhere, and <laughs> last. Thing I saw of that bull was it running that way because I was running this way. I dropped my bow the second those bees got up because one thing um, I have a kryptonite and that is bees. I'm allergic to bees. Um, another story was when I was 14 years old, my dad had dropped me off grouse hunting, dove hunting by myself. He just left me for the day. He was going to come back at the end of the day. And uh, when he came back, he couldn't find me because I was in a hospital because I'd been stung by a hornet after my dog kicked this nest. Fortunately, I got to a store and I died on the ambulance ride to the hospital that day. So I had this intense fear of bees. I would walk on water to get away from bees. Well, that day, as soon as I kicked that little uh, that little nest, bees came up into the air and that was it for me. But uh, that was the one year where I did not fill my archery up tag. So, um, All right, I think, uh, so 11 years ago, 11 years ago, I became a father. Uh, me and my wife, we started a little late. 
she went through medical school. We started a little late. Um, and uh, so I'm pretty old now, but I've got an 11 year old and a four year old. And uh, it was pretty cool. This is, this is one of my favorite lumps right here. I just had to tell this story. I don't think it fits much, but I had to tell this story because when I think about all the hunts that I've done in my life, this one stands out as the most memorable. Memorable. I remember every single detail of this hunt is because my daughter was involved in it. And, um, and so how this hunt turned out was, uh, happened to be, if you're a Washington guy, every August, you have the opportunity to go out and hunt black bears on the West Coast. Um, not, not necessarily the West Coast, but the North Cascades. August 1st is when it opens. And summertime, uh, and we were homeschooling our kids back then. Anyway, but we, we ended up ended up having a few days to put together, and I decided to grab my daughter, throw together a pack, and just kind of crudely come up with this plan. Like, I'm gonna take my daughter up in the hill, into, the, into the hills and see if I can't come up with a little bear hunt for her. So the drive up, now, I didn't even tell my wife what we were doing that day. I, told, I think I told her we were going hiking. And she was okay with that. Um, I did not tell her we were going bear hunting. There was a little bit of a reason for that, but um, so I took I took Bailey and I hopped in the truck, backpack loaded, ended up. I didn't know how far I was going to get. I knew a spot where I wanted to go where the berries would be popping, and uh, and I probably have a pretty good crack at seeing a bear. But I knew it was about eight nine miles from the trailhead. I've got an eight-year-old girl with me. Eight, nine miles seems like a lot. So I'm not really sure how this trip is going to pan out. But we got an early jump that morning, started up the trail. You know, we're getting like a couple miles in, and I'm, I'm like, feeling around, like, how how you doing? How's, how's things going? And she was all, you know, kind of giddy to get up that trail and, and do it. What I had done uh, that morning is I built a little scavenger hunt list. So you know how kids are, they, they kind of have to be entertained. And I thought maybe if I build this little scavenger hunt list, she'll always be thinking ahead, like what I'm, what she's looking for, just kind of keep her involved. And there was everything from see a goat to catch a fish, to kill a bear, to pick a huckleberry, to find a feather, find a flower. Anything I could think of that would get us further into this hike, because I knew I would lose her at probably mile three or four if I didn't do that. Um, but she's tough, she's really tough. Eight years old, I ended up getting her to where, I think we got to about mile six, and uh, she stepped off the trail, stepped into a bee's nest, and got stung like three times. Now I'm thinking this, this jig is up probably, um, but she's tough, she cried a little bit, got back on the trail, threw a little backpack on and kept going. And it took us all day, but we got to mile nine, we got to where I wanted to get to by the end of that day. Uh, probably had 20 minutes of daylight at the end of it. And um, the berries were incredible when we got there. High hopes, because up in that country, there's a lot of bears. You see, you typically see a lot of bears on a good barrier, you just, you just happen to get into them, or you will get into them. But I had just hiked my daughter nine miles, and I'd say we probably covered about 4,500 feet of elevation, which is no small feat for anyone, especially an eight-year-old. And she carried her pack for most of this trip until um, we hit the steeps, and I would say she carried it for about six miles of this trip. And then, uh, and then I just went ahead and tossed it on mine and, and doubled up, but uh, I was so impressed with, with her actually getting to this spot that I was going to do anything and everything to, uh, to make this a fun trip for her. So that night, <clears throat> I had just a little solo tent. I was trying to go as super light as possible, so I got a little solo tent, but I was not expecting any kind of weather at all. Um, it's middle of summer. This is uh, probably mid-August. <coughs> and uh, sometime in the middle of the night, we got some clouds roll in, and it starts just dumping rain, like dumping rain. We weren't prepared for that. Um, you know, I had I had a couple rain jackets, but that was about it. You know, the boots weren't, we weren't ready for rain by any stretch. Our tent wasn't ready for rain. It was a small one. So we're, uh, we get up in the morning and it's just pouring. Um, my daughter really wants to get out. She wants to go see this little lake that was up there and go catch some fish. She also wants to go find a bear and she wants to kill that bear. Um, now on that night prior, we did see a couple of billy goats. So we got that checked off of her little checklist. Um, a couple of goats up in there, but 
So we get up and we're we're eating food and, and it's just raining and raining and raining and raining. And I'm getting pretty bummed out because I'm thinking, man, I'm where I want to be. I've got my little girl with me. The berries are right where they should be. We're probably going to have pretty good success. I just need this cloud to get off this mountain. And about 10 o'clock that morning, it finally did. And uh, cloud lifted. I ended up tearing down camp as fast as I could, piled it up. I took her down this ridge. And we start glassing. She's got her own little set of, set of binos there, and I've got mine. And, and we find a bear. We find a bear, and he's probably two and a half miles away. And the only way we're going to get there is if we kind of scale this little cliff. And I didn't have any climbing gear with me, but she really wanted to go. I mean, she's to the point where she was like, wanting to slide down on her butt down these rocks to try to get down this. We could go get that bear. And I kind of had to, you know, call her off. I was like, there's no way we, we can't. If we don't get a bear, you know, maybe it's going to be fine. We'll be okay. But it's not safe to go get that bear. Well, so I kind of knew of a little spot where we might, you know, get a better look at, uh, at some different area and maybe get a crack at the bear. And so we did that. Picking berries the entire way, just having a great time with my daughter. Um, the country up there, as you can see, it's just, this is, this is Washington, North Cascades. It's amazing. Um, we had a credit ton of fun of times just picking berries and she had a blast. But we ended up seeing three bears. Two of them we couldn't get to. And then we found one that was a couple hundred yards out. We got set up and I got that, I ended up shooting that bear. Well, it got caught up. There was a bunch of cliffs. It's really, really cliffy country. It got caught up in the cliffs. And unfortunately it was tangled up in there and it didn't fall off the other side. And there was a point where I was trying to figure out what am I gonna do here? I, I can't, you know, I, I gotta get that bear unplugged. And, uh, and so I had to leave my daughter down on the bottom, rope off with parachute cord and shimmy my way down and kind of work that bear off that ledge. And, and I broke it free from that brush and he went tumbling down and, and my daughter saw him tumble down. And, um, talk about a happy kid when, uh, when we finally got that bear. But you can see the country that we were in, it was just absolutely amazing. But we ended up getting this bear. And uh, my daughter was probably the happiest I've ever seen her. She actually got to see her, you know, with her own two eyes, what her dad kind of does up in the high country in the mountains. And she loves like wild game meat. She loves elk heart, deer heart, bear heart. It doesn't matter, it's her favorite. And so, uh, you know, bless her heart, she, she helped me break this thing down and she had her little backpacks with a little tiny chunk of meat in her little backpack and she helped you know as much as she could and we climbed out of that hole and it was it was a pretty nasty spot we had to dump down about i don't know 900 feet of elevation just down where this bear had fallen and then climb back up this chute and get out to where we could get back to our camp and hike out and we only had two days this is late in the day, it's getting dark. Now we still have nine miles to get back to the truck that night. And, um, <clears throat> you know, we had already covered a couple miles that day. But in two days, my eight-year-old covered 20 miles. <clears throat> and she helped me pack that, pack that bear out most of the way. Um, that backpack of hers ended up on mine again. But, um, man, what a trooper. And definitely... Uh, you know, I got more out of that hunt just watching my daughter do her thing and, and enjoy it and, and, and kind of see what I do instead of just hearing the story. she got to see it for herself. But uh, by far one of, the, one of the best experiences I've ever had. Um, it wasn't the best experience when I got home because my wife still didn't know I was bear hunting. But <laughs> she, uh, she forgave me uh, probably after a week or two. Um, but yeah. So... I just had to tell that story as it's, it's one of my favorites. Um, one of the things that, uh, that I'm kind of involved in right now, my wife and I both, we run this podcast, Hunt Harvest Health Podcast, and we do these, uh, these Western hunting summits that we put on now. And what they are is, is it's an event where I take... I take two days and I take guys up onto the mountain, show these people, you know, a mini adventure, an experience. And 
And then we have two days in the classroom where we have archery competitions. Um, and we, we just basically go from all the ins and outs of setting up a Western hunt, coming out West and, and doing a hunt on their own. And the target, the target is, is anybody and everybody who wants to come out and try to figure out, you know, what we do out West, a lot of guys from the East, um, they have no idea. They dream about coming out West, but they really don't have an idea how to do it. So we've set up these little uh, Western hunting summits to kind of promote Western hunting, get guys into it, uh, really want to kind of grow, you know, the knowledge for, for folks that want to try something like this. And that's something that we've done as of late. And uh, it, it's interesting because I feel like I've come full circle in my life where, you know, I learned so much uh, growing up as a, as a kid that got mentored by these three amazing men who took the time and, uh, you know, they all the years that they had of experience, they ended up, you know, passing that down to me. And uh, I'll be honest, for a lot of my life, I've been one pretty selfish dude as far as like giving up knowledge. Definitely none of us want to give up spots, but just knowledge in general, because I, I was always, you know, I didn't want the competition so much up there. But uh, it took a lot of years, and, and I think what sparked it was that hunt with my daughter where I finally saw what people get out of taking other people out into into the wild and actually get to teach them and show them, educate them on these things that we all love. Everybody in this room, I'm sure, is the same way. You know, we're, we're privy to a lot of really good, amazing things up on the mountains that some people just didn't grow up with a good mentor. Maybe their father didn't do it. Uh, maybe they didn't have an uncle that did it. Maybe they never got an invite from a guy that lived in North Idaho. And, um, you know, they're missing out. I had a gentleman this year come with me. I invited this gentleman to come with me on a deer hunt in Idaho. Uh, he's kind of a wicked smart dude. He's kind of a keto, really in the health of spirit type guy. And he had an interest. He's one of my wife's friends uh, in the medical community. He had an interest in hunting. Just He'd never done it before. He, he didn't come from a hunting family in any way. But he was curious about it. He understands like the the logic when it comes to good clean meat, wild game, the advantages of it versus some of the other. And uh, and I thought, man, it'd be really cool to get a guy like that out there on the mountain, just see what he thinks of it, see his opinion, see see what he gets out of it. And so we invited this gentleman out, uh, his name was Mike Munsell. And um, and he, uh, he, I mean, he would tell it better than me, but we took this guy out and we had him out there for, I think, eight days. And uh, a guy that just had not been on the mountain, he hadn't done a whole lot of camping. We took him into the wilds of Idaho, showed him what we do, taught him how to glass, taught him how to backpack hunt, um, showed him what to look for, showed him deer behavior, showed him, talked about the migration routes, talked about all these different things that we look for and that we have figured out a lot of these things that we've already forgotten um, that kind of become new again when you're teaching somebody like that. And it's pretty cool to watch. But uh, Mike left that trip. Although he didn't have a deer tag, he wasn't able to harvest his own deer. He left that trip with this appreciation for, for what we do. And now, I mean, the guy was in tears when he left because he, he, he kind of realized that there was this thing that he'd been missing in his life. He was one of those West Washington guys that has spent probably too much time over there in the city. Um, there's this thing that we do that most of us here do that we're privy to, but a lot of people aren't. And he's one of those guys. He's never been privy to. He just never had opportunity to go. He's never had opportunity given to actually go out there and, uh, and see what it is that we do. And so we took him out and um, the guy's a changed man. Um, you know, he came out of there and he picked up all these little things that we just haven't, like we haven't even thought of. You know, the things that he saw were things that we don't even look at anymore. But he picked them up and it was pretty cool to watch. Um, I guess the point of me saying that is, you know, with a room like this where there's just so much, so many of you are so educated and so involved and have so much, uh, you know, to give and so much wisdom. I'm sure a lot of you guys have done a lot of hunts over your years spent a lot of time in the mountains. Um, and I, I highly encourage and recommend anybody try to look outside, not just in, within our community, but outside of the community as well. And, uh, and try to get people just, just to see what it is that we do.
And I think you'd be surprised at how many people kind of glom onto this and figure it out for what it is. And it's just a good, clean, solid, honest lifestyle that we all enjoy. But um, if there's anything I'd, I'd kind of like to leave is, is just that. If you, ha if you have the opportunity and somebody shows any interest at all, even if they don't, maybe offer it up. Um, that's kind of what I want to do with my life from here on out, and that's educate and try to get people on the mountain that haven't had those mentors, so maybe now I can be one. So um, that's about it. I'm going to leave it with that. hike was outstanding is we, we've looked at different glassing areas and, and different places where especially where Brian and uh, Ryan would look for deer and elk and that was that was incredibly helpful. It's a, it absolutely priceless we don't have time to go through everything that I've got from it but um, yeah obviously knowing the mental the physical um, what these guys do all the time is pretty impressive. Um, hats off to, to Ryan Lampers he, he stayed back and uh, I waited for, for people like me that couldn't keep up. Um, so yeah, that's that shows a lot of, of his character. And um, yeah, just being able to talk with a guy like that, it's a humbling experience, man, it really is. I learned, learned a ton just watching him, you know, just watching him walk with trekking poles, stuff that I don't know how to do. Um, yeah, the things I got out of there are just priceless, man. I'll do it all over again today, so. The VIP uh, hike for me, was awesome. I mean, just the opportunity, uh, you know, I was telling Ryan that, I mean, just the opportunity, if you ever would have told me that I'd be, you know, sitting on top of, uh, you know, a rock pinnacle with Brian Barney, uh, you know, glassing grizzly bears and mountain goats and elk, you know, with him right next to me, you know, I, uh, you know, I never would have believed it. I think Mark was probably my favorite. Um, I, I, I probably took the most amount of notes off of his information, probably just because his 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 talk on uh, e-scouting was you know very technical and, and a lot of information to just you can't really absorb it all, all at once. So it was just taking it in as much as I could. Mark's presentation today, I mean that was just giant wealth of knowledge. For the backcountry hunter, Brian Barney definitely put on a great presentation and it was very motivating and you can see that he's just a, he's just an average guy like anyone else but he just works very hard and um, that was very inspiring. I'm learning just as much in between each people, each person's talk than I am you know during the talk itself. A lot of stuff I you know I have picked up on the e-scouting. I seem to kind of hold my own uh, pretty good on the e-scouting part, but there was there was a lot of little nuggets. There was a lot of things that uh, that I didn't see coming, but I wanted to see how everything was structured, how everybody, uh, how everybody's speeches. And as far as I'm concerned, I think that uh, you could probably double the time that everybody had, and we'd all still be glued to them. Think you'd come back next year? Oh, 100 percent. Oh, absolutely. Yes. Oh, absolutely. I will be back next year.